What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy Sports. I'm Heavy Sports Senior NFL Insider Matt Lombardo. Great to have you here. The 2022 NFL season officially in the books. Super wildcard weekend upcoming. The coaching carousel has already begun to spin. And I'm of the belief that we are about to see some unprecedented quarterback movement across the NFL this offseason. So much to get into. We have a big show on tap. We'll be joined in just a little bit by former NFL Executive of the Year and heavy contributor Randy Mueller to get his thoughts on the best job openings around the league, what the heck the Chicago Bears are going to do with the number one overall pick, and of course we'll get into all of the big storylines heading into the NFL postseason because I think that there are some teams that could surprise and there are a couple teams that are primed for maybe a letdown and an early exit from the NFL playoffs. So much to get into, but before we do, a little bit of housekeeping as always. If you enjoy the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you went into the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, all of your favorite podcast platforms, and subscribed. Toss us a like on YouTube if you could as well. And if you're in the Apple Podcast Store, please go ahead and leave those five-star reviews. They really help grow the show. You can let us know what you like, what you don't like. Maybe if there's a guest you really want to hear from, leave it in the review. Just let us know who you want the next guest to be, and we will try to track them down and bring them on. But before we get into previewing the postseason, previewing the big playoff games, I really want to touch on some of the major storylines facing a lot of teams across the league. Who better to preview the NFL offseason, all of the changes, the coaching carousel, the drama in Green Bay surrounding Aaron Rodgers' future. And as I wrote in my national NFL column on heavy.com on Wednesday, go check it out. I really think the most fascinating aspect of this offseason is going to be the quarterback merry-go-round, even more so than the coaching carousel. But who better to break all of that down and more than good friend of the program, the 2000 NFL Executive of the Year. He's a contributor to Heavy.com. Good friend of the show. He's Randy Mueller. He joins us now. Randy, how you doing, man? Doing great, Matt. Good to be with you. First time of the new year, so happy new year. Happy New Year to you, although I am reminded of the great Larry David skit that you can't say Happy New Year past January 7th, but I'll let it slide this time (laughs) in the Lombardo Lounge. Well, it hasn't reached out here in Idaho yet, so maybe I'll I'll blame it on on my remote access. There you go. I love it. I love it. And obviously, one of the big takeaways from Week 18, maybe one of the biggest surprises, was for some reason, Lovey Smith decided to go for it and win the game in Houston, and it torpedoed the Texans' chances at the number one overall pick. And as a result, Ryan Poles and the Bears will now select number one in the NFL draft. They have Justin Fields. You've obviously been in that general manager's chair. If you were the GM of the Bears, what do you do at number one? Do you sell it for a king's ransom? Do you take a quarterback? Do you take one of the dominant edge rushers? What would you do if you were running the Bears right now, Randy? Well, I've heard Ryan Poles' description of kind of where he's at and his mindset, and I kind of agree with it, to be honest with you. I think we saw progress in Justin Fields. I think we saw enough progress that another year of development might just prove that he's one of the stars in this league. The, the, The problem the Bears have now is the fact that they've got to put people around him in many spots because they've got a ton of needs and they need volumes of players. They don't need one or two players. I think the big thing in their case is they've got to find a way to develop their offense. Let's face it. The bears ran for over 3000 yards as a team this year. That's more than anybody else in the league, but here's the downside. They threw 377 passes. It'll take them 17 more weeks to catch up to what the bucks (laughs) did this year in their passing attempts. So they've got to reach a happy medium with their offense. I wouldn't say that their scheme right now isn't, 
really truly an NFL offense. It's just really based on on running the football, predetermined reads, and they're going to have to expand that. Now they did that obviously with a reason in order to get Fields' confidence up and give him some success because of his skill set and the rawness by which, hey, it's a learning curve to get into the league. So they're on their way. Um, I personally, I, I know there's been a lot made of the Bryce Young, uh, Alabama stuff. Well, I'll be honest with you, Matt. I'm not drinking that Kool-Aid. I'm not no. looking to go that route at all. And so I think Justin Fields gives them an opportunity to build around. And I think that's what Ryan will do. They, He said he's going to have to be blown away. I surely haven't seen anybody in this year's draft class of quarterbacks that's going to blow me away compared to a Justin Fields. No, I agree. And I happen to think that Justin Fields has the skill set, has the temperament, the desire to get better. You saw incremental improvements. Some of the throws that he made under incredible pressure this year, they, yeah. they kind of blow your mind a little bit, but they just weren't enough of those throws. There weren't enough opportunities because the talent isn't there. So I'm kind of in the same boat as you, and it sounds like Ryan Poles. Let me ask you this, though. What is that number one pick worth? Because I remember the last time there was a number one overall pick trade, 2016, Jared Goff gets dealt. I think it was two firsts, two seconds, and two thirds. You know, different era, though. It's 2022. There are a lot of quarterback needy teams. In your estimation, what could the Bears get in return for that trade for that pick? Well, I think it depends because you've got to set the tone as to what you're going to do. It's all negotiating now if you're Ryan Poles. Right. You've almost got to make people think you're willing to to take one of these quarterbacks or somebody that others are willing to trade up to get. It doesn't necessarily have to be a quarterback, but it's a valuable pick. I think the thing you've got to be careful with, Matt, is everybody wants to trade. Everybody wants to trade. You don't want to trade out of the good players either. And I right. don't think teams, in fact, I know for a fact, NFL teams do not have a top 10 order set by any means. So it's hard to say. Most drafts might have anywhere from 8 to 12 really great players that you see. Some drafts, I remember a couple that had five or six. So you've got to strategize to see how far down you're willing to trade and then try to negotiate enough to where you can still make a good deal, but acquire these other pieces to, to a team build that we know is a you know, work in progress with the Bears. And I think another team that's kind of in the opposite spot where they seem to have all of the pieces or a lot of young pieces. Brees Hall looked like he could have challenged for the rushing crown as a rookie. Sauce Gardner might already be a top five corner in this league. That's the New York Jets. A, a lot of talent there, both sides of the football. I think their defense got better as the year went along. A lot of talent on offense. But what do they do at quarterback? You know, I, I suggested in my column this week, Jimmy Garoppolo and Robert Sally. There seems like there would be a natural fit there. Maybe Tom Brady leaves Tampa Bay and it, there's an allure to the Big Apple. It, it feels like the Jets are a veteran quarterback away from competing for a playoff berth. Do you agree with that? And Do you think there might be a veteran fit out there for them this offseason? I kind of see it a little different, Matt, and I've heard all that, and I, I can totally understand how that mindset has has kind of taken over the airwaves per se. I'm kind of one that, I, and again, I'm not going to make a case for Zach Wilson on this show or for what he has <laughs> been through, but right. I am going to say this. I think there are questions on with the Jets' offense. I really do, and I don't think it mattered who the quarterback was at times. Players did different things. They were asked to do different things. There was a lot of things that had me scratching my head. So I think they've got to solve that one first before they even get to the quarterback is what kind of scheme are we going to have? And if if we're going to keep the same staff, what changes can we make for any quarterback coming in here? But let's face it, they've, they've got to do better. They've got to have a better passing game. Um, I think there are, are ways to get better. I, I don't, and I don't, maybe it's just because I'm not an East Coast guy. I don't see 
quite the level of talent that a lot of people have portrayed the Jets as having. I think they're a good team. I don't think they're a great team. I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender in any way. And so I think they still have some work to do. So that's just my take on it. I think they've got work to do still. um, And I just haven't seen it. I know we can say that the offense is this or that. I just haven't seen that with my own eyes. Devil's advocate to my point and kind of playing into yours do they risk becoming, say, the Indianapolis Colts if they go and they get a Garoppolo or a Brady or an Aaron Rodgers or any number of the veteran names that could be out there? Do they risk kind of becoming the Colts where you have some talent, but you also don't have that long-term quarterback to build around? And I think the Colts have really hurt themselves over the last three years yeah. with this quarterback carousel. Is that a risk the Jets run if they don't aggressively try to move up and get one of these quarterbacks, which again, drafting a quarterback for the second time in three years, boy, that that that's that that seems to me like you're really betting on it working out this time if you're Joe Douglas. But is that the better route for them to go down, in your opinion? Well, I think they've got some tough decisions to make. I think we're going to see what kind of coach Robert Sala is when it comes to making tough decisions. I understand and I like his motivational ways. He's very charismatic at times, but I think sometimes the good teams have to make tough decisions. And like I said, the first thing they got to do is decide what they want to be on offense. So I surely... um, think there are parts that they can add to it. They've got to be more consistent. They've got to be less mistake driven. Um, Obviously we saw when Mike White came in, there was flashes, but we also saw him struggle at times to making uh, the connections and the progression of reads and everything. Same thing that Zach Wilson saw. So, you know, I don't know. I think it's a tough spot, but you've got to ask the right questions. And sometimes the decision makers, whether you're Joe Douglas or Robert Sala, have to ask hard decisions and evaluate your own people and your own scheme. You say draft another quarterback. Well, I don't I mean, to me, I would say let's fix our offense first. Let's set our criteria for what we want as a quarterback. And then we'll determine if we can add a veteran to the mix. I I'm I'm probably on an island here, but I would not be for getting rid of Zach Wilson at this point. I just think there's too much there to work with. The problems that he's having with the Jets now are no that he had none of these same problems at BYU. Let me just say that he processed. You and I have talked about that off air. We, yeah. We've talked about this off air that there was a regression in New York this year. Yes. Is there, is there a coach out there? And I'm not talking a head coach, obviously, because Robert Saleh isn't going anywhere. But is there a, a, an offensive minded? maybe an up-and-coming quarterback coach out there that could join that staff, whether it's an offensive coordinator or a quarterback coach, to to salvage him. Because if you're not going to sign the veteran, if you're not going to trade up and get a Will Levis if he's available a couple picks in, is there a young coach who can salvage or try to get something out of Zach Wilson? Well, two things. One, I think the thought of trading up for another quarterback, I, that's not going to happen. I think that's a right. pipe dream. I just don't think they're going to do that. And I think in in a lot of cases, you can make a case for a college, I will say college uh, coach, maybe following a player to the NFL. There are a lot of cases where it doesn't make sense either. I think in Zach's case, in his offensive coordinator at BYU, is now the offensive coordinator at Baylor. I forget his name. I, I should know it off the top of my head, but I don't. But I was impressed when looking at Zach Wilson with their scheme at BYU, and he went to Baylor and has done great at Baylor as well. I would look at a guy like that. We got to make Jeff Grimes. Jeff Grimes. We got to make Zach Wilson feel comfortable in his own skin, one, off the field. Now, if there's off the field issues and leadership issues and locker room issues, I understand. 
But on the field is the part that really bothers me in that I think he did all the things that people are questioning now really good at BYU. So maybe the system had something to do with that. So I would look at a guy like, I don't know if you can hire a guy like that. The college coaches make so much money now and they probably have their own plans, but I surely would make, do everything I can to make decisions to see if we can't make this work before I pull the plug. And I know you New York people are, you know, beating their drums saying, come on, get out of here. We don't want any more of this. I got news for you. The kid was really good at BYU, and I'm not ready to flush that right now, and especially if I'm not sold on our scheme and our offense. Yeah, and I really think that what really hurt him is the fact that after the tragedy this summer, there wasn't a coach on that staff with legitimate experience developing young quarterbacks. Grimes would certainly you know, solve that issue. I want to get you read, Randy, on, on you talk about feeling comfortable in your own skin. You talk about finding a direction for an organization. I don't know that Aaron Rodgers is a guy who's comfortable in his own skin or really knows what direction he's going to head this offseason. Obviously, $60 million is a lot of money to walk away from if he retires or gets traded elsewhere. But the Packers have to have a plan. And you're sitting on Jordan Love now going into what would be, what, his fourth season after you chose him number one overall. What's your read on what's happening in Green Bay? How do you see that playing out? Well, I'm not sure it's how, how it's going to play out, but I do know this. There's probably some details in this Aaron Rodgers contract, Matt, that we're not familiar with. And that was when they structured it, I'm, I'm assuming they had a couple different areas that they could go. Now, obviously, there's going to be a big cap hit if he's not there. But the details of which, once we know them, I think the picture might be a little clearer. From what I've seen, there's really no way they can be without Aaron Rodgers, nor would I want to be without him. I think they're a totally different team if he's not there, especially next year. So I think they've got to look at it as keep love where he's at for right now, do everything they can to keep Aaron. But you mentioned that time is of the essence. And, and if I'm planning, if I'm Brian Gutekist, I've got to know fairly soon what the plan yeah. is. It, it seems like this is a Green Bay uh, way of life, right? Whether it was Brett Favre or now with Aaron Rodgers, they keep you guessing. You know, that's probably why the part of the reason they, they drafted Aaron Rodgers was Brett Favre kept them guessing for two or three years. And and Ted Thompson, God bless him, he didn't want to go through that anymore either. So I can imagine they don't want this, you know, to be drawn out and more drama over what Aaron is wanting or where he wants to go. So hopefully there is a quick decision by him and that they're on the same page with the team. I, I don't think we know enough of the details to say, hey, this has to happen, just when, with regard to the contract. For sure. And I talked to Andrew Brandt about this yesterday, and he suggested maybe there's a middle ground where, like a Brett Favre, you pay him $25, $30 million to go elsewhere. It softens that cap hit against what it would be otherwise. If that's the case, if Rodgers just is done with Green Bay, done with straddling the line between trying to compete and rebuilding around a young roster with Christian Watson, who's been unbelievable, but Romeo Dalbs and trying to go to a youth movement and wants to chase a ring somewhere. Randy, who's the best fit right now of any team of, that, that would be in the market for, for an Aaron Rodgers? Where would be the best fit for him if it's not Green Bay in 2023? Well, I think it would be hard to beat where the 49ers are right now. And, and again, they're yeah. kind of quarterback rich in that Brock Purdy's done really good. They love Trey Lance, who will be back next year. That quarterback room is already going to have a competition. But I think these teams, you know, maybe it's a Vegas. As we know, they've made quarterback decisions the past couple weeks. Um, Reuniting with Devontae Adams yes, in Vegas? I know. I could see that being <laughs> one that uh, – and, and again, Vegas is a team that's willing to give to get. So I think that part of it's got to be involved as well. You know, who knows? Uh, Arizona, new coach, new GM, new everything. Does Arizona really –
Are they really sold on Kyler Murray? I don't know that his skill set fits just any NFL system. So that would take a huge cap chunk to do something like that. But there's going to be some options if Aaron decides that Green Bay is not where he wants to play out his final two or three years. Randy, this has been tremendous. I always enjoy the enjoy the insight. But before I let you go, I want to really pick your brain a little bit on the coaching carousel because I, I have this thought in my head that if I'm Sean Payton or I'm D'Amico Ryans or or I'm Raheem Morris, any of these top candidates that are out there, I don't know that I love any of these situations, right? You go to Denver and you're kind of saddled with Russell Wilson, who looks like he's been lassoed by father time. You go to Indianapolis and you got to deal with quarterback uncertainty and, and insanity in the ownership suite. Yeah. God knows what's happening in Arizona. Houston, it seems like it's a one and done elevator every single year. Yeah, you're going to be able to coach CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or whoever. Where would be your ideal coaching landing spot if you were a head coach this hiring cycle? Because if it's me personally, I don't really see one. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think sometimes we have to give to get as a as an employee, and I do think it's all about options. If if we indeed don't have more surprises, to me, the spot might be Carolina, just from the fact that they Carolina. don't have cap problems. Scott Fitter is solid in the GM chair. Um I don't know that they have their quarterback for the long run, but they're pretty functional. I think that's a group that could use a, a legitimate, you know, and I like Steve Wilkes. I'd like to see him get it, but it sure sounds like the tea leaves are leaning toward them bringing in somebody else. I think that's as solid as any, and maybe it's the, the byproduct of deduction, like you just said. There's a big albatross in Denver, we know. There's another one in Phoenix that we know. So these other places have issues. Like you said, the Colts have their issues as well. Now, I'm a big Chris Ballard fan, but they probably need a different set of eyes on their talent as well because we've completely outjudged that one or misjudged uh, the, the really totality of their roster and how talented it is. I don't think it's just about quarterbacks. So there's some issues there as well. And, and then you factor in the Jim Mercer deal. Who knows what you're going to get from not only year to year, sometimes week to week. So... Uh, I think there's some some stability, it sounds like, in, in Carolina. There may be another surprise or two. I do know this, Matt. It's, it, it's about options, but no place is perfect. And even a guy like Sean Payton, he's not going to have the perfect fit. We all think that these guys are going to have things to pick and choose from. It's never a perfect fit. It's about who you're partnering with, the other people you bring in. I think you can make the best of a bad situation if you have the right ownership and that's where it starts do you buy the whispers that sean payton could go back to new orleans i've heard that suggested a couple of different places and i i, I don't know that i believe that that's where this thing could end up i don't i think that bridge is i wouldn't necessarily burn but they've crossed that bridge i think they're looking to move up and and, and beyond and the other thing is they're dangling Maybe it's a first and a third round pick uh, right. in return for him. So if he does come back, you're giving up that right as well. It's hard to ever say no to a Sean Payton, but you know, I, I just don't see that one coming. I think they've kind of moved on from that. There was a slight bit of hurt maybe on both sides when that happened. And what do they say? You can never go home. It's, it's never the same going home. So I just don't see that one happening. He's Randy Mueller. He's the 2000 NFL Executive of the Year, former NFL general manager, a contributor to Heavy.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. Randy, where else can everybody find you? Where can they follow your work? Well, at MuellerFootball.com, I write for my own blog. It's, I have a little consulting business on all things football, and I keep things pretty fresh there on my blog. So we write columns there once or twice a week. Just 
from the GM chair, different angles. And uh, I'll have fun with that. It's just my opinion. That's also, it's kind of more talk just like we're doing here, Matt. Love it. And always enjoy the conversation. Always enjoy the insight. At some point, we'll have you in the Lombardo Lounge for cigars, or I'll be out in Idaho with you overlooking that amazing view. But until then, appreciate the time. I look forward to talking to you further up the road, my friend. Thanks, Matt. I enjoyed it. I really always do enjoy chatting with Randy, whether it's on the podcast or just, you know, picking up the phone and giving him a call. The guy has great insight. And I, I tend to agree with him that Carolina is a sneaky good job. Now, I think the way they finished when they committed to the running game with Devonta Foreman, what they were able to do defensively late in the year, I think it shows some promise. I don't think that Sam Darnold is the long-term answer, but if you bring in the right head coach, if you bring in a Frank Reich, who it didn't work out in Indy, but I don't know how much of that was Frank Reich's fault, you bring in an offensive-minded head coach, you might be able to, to turn that situation around pretty quickly but I agree with Randy. Steve Wilkes would be a great hire there as well if they would go internal. And I think he's done more than enough to earn that job. And one team that I think hasn't quite done enough to survive the gauntlet of the NFL playoffs is the Dallas Cowboys. And they really, they drew maybe the toughest draw of Super Wild Card Weekend, if you think about it. Because is anyone betting against Tom Brady in the NFL playoffs? especially when Brady's coming off a year where we've seen time and time again that he can play mediocre football, or let's be honest here, a lot worse than mediocre for 40 minutes of a game and then bang, come back and beat you in the fourth quarter. We saw it five times this year. Brady had five fourth quarter comebacks this season alone, including against the New Orleans Saints in primetime on Monday Night Football, and people will say the Saints didn't make the playoffs. It's a division game. It's an NFC South game that they had to win. Fourth quarter comeback game-winning drive where he was just electric against the Carolina Panthers. That was a de facto playoff game with the division title on the line. And when you look across the league, when you look across the sport, when you look across the history of the game, nobody is more clutch than Tom Brady. But that's not the big reason why I'm bearish about Dallas and I'm worried about the Cowboys in this game. Because when you look at the other quarterback in this matchup, Dak Prescott, Prescott and the Cowboys offense have regressed significantly over the second half of this season and dramatically over the last four or five weeks. You look at what's happened. Prescott has tossed at least one interception each of the past seven games. Two of those, two of those have been returned for touchdowns over that span, including the, the interception in overtime against Jacksonville that ended the game a game the Jaguars had no business winning. And they had a pick six to win the game off of Prescott. That defense, look, Micah Parsons started the year at a defensive player of the year level. There were a lot of moments where you thought, wow, he really is the MVP. Parsons has kind of come back down to earth. The defense has faded. They've been less opportunistic. They haven't been able to force as many turnovers. The offense has become turnover prone. That's a really difficult combination and a really difficult proposition to overcome in the postseason where the games are tighter, the opponents are better, and you're more evenly matched. And you look at this Cowboy team right now, it just feels like the kind of game where the dam breaks for the Cowboys at some point, that they're going to give a, a couple of big plays to Brady, to Mike Evans or Chris Godwin or something's going to happen, and the, the it's just going to go off the rails. When you look at the Cowboys, especially over the past four weeks, there have been real problems. 
defensively, offensively, they just haven't played all that well over the final four weeks of the season. And over that span, they've been outscored 113 to 107. Not great. That's not the caliber of football that you want to play going into the postseason, especially when you lined up opposite the greatest quarterback and the most clutch quarterback to ever play the game. So I don't necessarily think Tampa Bay can make a run. I think they might be one and done. But I think that one is knocking off the Cowboys. I think Brady certainly has enough left in the tank, especially late in a tight game, to beat Dallas. So I really like Tampa Bay in this game, and I think that it, if they win, if the Buccaneers win this game, it is going to trigger all kinds of questions in Dallas. And I know that Jerry Jones went on the radio this week and gave a proverbial vote of confidence to Mike McCarthy. I, I get it. I really do. But if it's two years in a row where you're one and done and you lose on Super Wildcard Weekend, as a four seed or whatever the Cowboys are going into this game and Sean Payton sitting out there. I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas moves on from Mike McCarthy and Jerry Jones makes the big push for Sean Payton. But either way, I like Tampa Bay in this game. And another Florida team that I think is plenty capable of making a run, maybe winning more than one game. And I think certainly have to be viewed as the favorites going into their matchup this weekend. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars. When you look at what they've done over the final stretch of this season, you look at the job that Doug Peterson has done molding Trevor Lawrence. He's a different quarterback. This is what everybody thought the Jaguars were getting when they chose Trevor Lawrence number one overall. And you look at what they've done. They're capable of making a postseason run here. The rest of the league has taken notice too. If you go check out my weekly column on heavy.com, I surveyed a dozen current NFL executives, coaches, scouts, players, kind of ran the, the bandit here to get a feel for who the league believes is a surprise team that can ruin somebody's day, somebody that they would not want to face in the playoffs if they were coaching against them tomorrow. And they were a popular choice, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They were a popular choice both among a current NFL defensive line coach and a personnel executive. And I think there's really good reason for that. They've won five in a row, six of their last seven, and over that span, the Jaguars bullied the Tennessee Titans twice. Now I get it. Ryan Tannehill got hurt. And we, we talked about it on the podcast. The week after Ryan Tannehill got hurt, I came on the show and said the Jaguars are the team to beat. You remember that? Well, the Jaguars went out. And the reason Tennessee is out of the postseason isn't just Tannehill getting hurt. It's Jacksonville taking care of business and beating them twice, earning their fourth AFC South crown in franchise history. And it's not just the offensive firepower around Trevor Lawrence. And Lawrence has been pretty special, right? 66% completion percentage, passed for 4,113 yards. He has 25 touchdowns. But even more importantly, one of the biggest question marks about Lawrence coming into this year was ball security. He's only thrown eight interceptions. But that's not the biggest reason the Jaguars should scare some people. It's the defense. That Jacksonville defense has become a swarming and opportunistic bunch. You saw it Saturday night in the finale against Tennessee. That was a party in Duval because of what the defense did. Because when the offense kind of fell asleep in the second half, the defense tightened the screws. Josh Allen, Trayvon Walker, they have absolutely harassed opposing quarterbacks all year. But you look at what they've done down the stretch. Josh Allen has three sacks, two forced fumbles over the last two weeks. Trayvon Walker, as a rookie, as the number one overall pick in the draft, 36 quarterback pressures this year. That's a strong, strong rookie season. And you look at the Jaguars, man. 
you look at that team, they're balanced. They're playing complementary football. As an NFL executive told me, they're on a roll right now. They have momentum. They have the kind of quarterback that you'd want to build around. And in Doug Peterson, they have a championship winning Super Bowl pedigreed head coach with the ability to develop young quarterbacks. That's what you want. And Doug Peterson landed in the perfect situation with an elite franchise quarterback waiting in the wings, talent on both sides of the ball. They're young. He's relatable to his players. He has the ring to back it up. And I don't know that they're going to win another one this year, but I think they get some valuable postseason experience. Look, this is not a team I would want to face early. And I know Justin Herbert is going to be a challenge. It's his first NFL playoff start as well, just as it is Trevor Lawrence's. He's the best quarterback that the Jaguars have faced, Justin Herbert is, since Patrick Mahomes back in week 10. But the Jaguars have all the pieces, all the talent, the coaching, and the momentum to make a little bit of a run or at least get through round one. I don't know that they're going to beat Baltimore, Cincinnati, or Buffalo, or Kansas City. But I think they get by this game, and I think they put the fear of God in whoever they play in round two. But when you look in the NFC, I I think the Eagles might be in a little bit of trouble because there's a feeling inside the NFL that the 49ers are the team to beat in the NFC. And I think that's a tough one to argue right now because the Eagles and 49ers are the only two teams in the NFC with top five offenses and top five defenses. But the difference between San Francisco and Philadelphia right now is the 49ers are healthy and they seem to be peaking. They seem to be playing their best football at the most important time of the year. They're not going through the kind of injuries that the Eagles have had to battle through. And they finished strong. They finished in, in, in a big way on both sides of the ball down the stretch. And this time of year, the fact that the 49ers can basically go on autopilot with Brock Purdy, that's a real credit to Kyle Shanahan and that offense, that they're able to go from Trey Lance to Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy. Mr. Irrelevant, the final pick in the 2022 NFL draft, they can go down that sliding scale of quarterback play and not skip a beat. The reason they can do that is they have the league's number one rushing offense, and that makes them incredibly dangerous in the postseason, whether it's in San Francisco, whether they have to go to Philadelphia, or they have to go somewhere where it's cold and the elements play a factor. It makes them really dangerous in the point where their defense is holding opponents to 16.3 points per game. They lead the league in rushing. And when you can do those things, when you can force offenses off the field, force three and outs, create turnovers, keep points off the scoreboard, and then run the ball and pound your opponent into submission, that's a really tough formula to overcome. That's a tough team to beat. You're going to keep the high-flying offenses off the field, those quick-strike offenses like you have in Minnesota with Justin Jefferson, like you have in Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. You're going to limit those opportunities if you can run the ball effectively and create turnovers, turnovers and get off the field. And I had a current player in the NFC West tell me that he thinks after playing the Niners twice this year, that they're going to the Super Bowl. This player told me that it's all about the talent on defense at all three levels and that their running game is not only terrific with Christian McCaffrey, but it's versatile. You can win a multiple different ways, whether it's up the middle, you know, RPOs, they do a little bit of everything. It's a tough team to beat. And besides, they've won 10 straight. They beat the Chargers, they beat the Dolphins, they beat the Buccaneers, and they beat the Seahawks over that span. All those teams are going to the postseason. 
And here's the kicker. They held those teams to 13.25 points per game. That's less than two touchdowns per game, less than 14 points against those offenses, against Tua, against Tom Brady, against Geno Smith, who's been kind of operating on the fringes of the MVP conversation all year long. Make no mistake about it, the 49ers are a dangerous team, and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if we look up in February and the 49ers are the team standing on the NFC sideline at the Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona. And in the AFC, I think there's a team that nobody is giving enough credit to. There's a quarterback who I think is consistently undervalued, both in the MVP conversations and just by the casual football public. That's Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Because for some reason, Cincinnati has flown under the radar all season. But all Burrow and the Bengals do is they keep winning games. Cincinnati's won eight in a row, 10 of their final 11. Over that span, they beat the Titans. They beat Kansas City. Remember, Joe Burrow is the only quarterback in the league to beat Patrick Mahomes three straight times. They went into Tampa and beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. And they waxed Baltimore. They took out all of their anger, all of their frustrations on the NFL for the contingencies, the coin toss to determine home field if there was a tie, everything that went into the potential to shaft them in terms of playoff seeding. They took all of that out on the Ravens last week to win the AFC North and clinch a home field game on wildcard weekend. And here's what makes Cincinnati so dangerous. The Bengals are no longer just an offense where Joe Burrow drops back in the pocket and chucks the ball downfield because, hey, Jamar Chase is down there somewhere. No, what they have is they're beating teams on short and intermediate passing routes. The offensive line is playing its best football of the year. And we talked about this a few times throughout the course of the season. It took some time for Alex Kappa and Lael Collins and some of those veteran additions to gel with the rest of that line, but they've gelled. And the Bengals' offensive line is playing their best football of the year. And only Tom Brady gets rid of the football quicker than Joe Burrow. That makes him really tough to beat. That makes him and and really illustrates how good he is at pre-snap reads, at dictating to defenses, and just how quickly he processes information to get rid of the football. But over that span, the Bengals' defense, while the offense is starting to peak a little bit, the Bengals' defense has held opponents to fewer than 17 points in six of their 10 games. So when you watch the Bengals, their offense is really unique because they will throw to run. And what I mean by that is they'll pass the football to stretch a defense out early. You'll see those quick strikes to T. Higgins or Jamar Chase early in games. And then they'll just pound the rock with Joe Mixon and Samaji Perrine. Then they'll go back over the top late because safeties have crept up towards the line of scrimmage to respect the run game. They're really multifaceted. And when I look at their, their philosophy, it's almost like you've merged an old-school power-running offense with explosive talent on the perimeter with a quarterback who's one of the more cerebral in the game right now. I've said it before, and I think I'll say it again until I'm blue in the face. Joe Burrow is the next Tom Brady. I'm convinced that that's what Joe Burrow's ceiling is. And he was right when he made the comment that the Bengals' Super Bowl window is his entire career. He's only 26. They have all the weapons around him. He's in a great offensive scheme with with all kinds of of synergy with head coach Zach Taylor. And he's only going to get better from here the more snaps that he has with Jamar Chase at wide receiver. And earlier this season, he went down and he beat Tom Brady. Burrow went down, and in my opinion, he took the baton from Tom Brady in that game. 
Burrow has four fourth quarter comebacks. We mentioned Brady has five. If Tom Brady is the greatest clutch quarterback of all time, Joe Burrow is nipping at the heels and maybe even leading as the most clutch quarterback of this generation, that next generation of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson. I put Burrow at the top of that list. Now, I don't think he yet has the accomplishments of Patrick Mahomes. I don't know that he's as athletically gifted as Patrick Mahomes. He's less reckless than Mahomes is. He plays more within the confines of a system, and I think at at a higher consistent level than Mahomes. I just have a feeling Burrow's going to go down as one of the best ever play the game, and I think that they get by Baltimore pretty easily. And if I had to make a pick today on today's show, who comes out of the AFC? I really think Burrow and the Bengals get back. They're not intimidated by going to Arrowhead. They're not intimidated by Josh Allen and the Bengals. They know they can beat Baltimore. They've done that. So if I had to make my pick to represent the AFC, it's it's the Bengals and it's Joe Burrow. And just as we talked about some of these teams that are peaking at the right time, the Jaguars, the Bengals, even to a lesser extent, maybe Tampa Bay because of the matchup that they drew, Eagles not so much. As a team that started out like gangbusters, everything, and I mean everything for the Eagles, hinges on Jalen Hurts. Hinges on Jalen Hurts' health, hinges on his effectiveness. And a few weeks back, Michael Parsons made all kinds of waves, all kinds of headlines across the country when he suggested that Jalen Hurts is a system quarterback. Well, let me tell you, if the last month has shown anything, Jalen Hurts is the Eagles' system. Everything about what the Eagles do when they're successful is because Jalen Hurts is the key to the Eagles' success. Everything about Philadelphia's Super Bowl aspirations hinges on Jalen Hurts playing at a high level and being healthy. And listen, I'm in Philadelphia, so the Eagles game is on pretty much every week. So it's one of the three games that I have on on the three TVs in the heavy NFL command center. So I've watched a lot of Jalen Hurts. And his ability to win pre-snap has dramatically improved this season. His ability to manipulate defenses has improved dramatically this season. He looks off safeties. He creates opportunities for his receivers downfield. And in a lot of ways, we saw just how important that is to the Eagles' offensive success because Gardner Minshew clearly wasn't able to. I think the optimism around Minshew and Philadelphia coming in for the Eagles, I think that was a little foolish. I said it at the time. I really felt it that I think people were underestimating the drop-off from Jalen Hurts to Gardner Minshew. Just look at the disaster against the Saints. But if Jalen Hurts is healthy, the Eagles have a real chance. Because as high as I am on Joe Burrow, I think there's a real potential here that if Jalen Hurts continues to develop and ascend at this level in this system with Nick Sirianni, with all of these weapons and that offensive line, I think we're going to look up over the next several years and we're going to say that Jalen Hurts is a more mobile Peyton Manning. He plays the game above the shoulders at a level that Peyton Manning was just an assassin at at the peak of his career. And he adds the mobility. I think that Jalen Hurts makes that Eagles offense go. I really do. The bad news for the Eagles right now is they're banged up. I don't know how effective Lane Johnson is going to be if he plays. I think he's critical to their success on offense. I think getting C.J. Gardner-Johnson back at safety is huge in that secondary because there was a real drop-off in Darius Slay and and James Bradbury's level of play in C.J. Gardner-Johnson's absence. So if they get healthy and they they have the bye, they need the bye, 
they need it more than most teams would, then I think they have a real chance. Because if Hurts is healthy, this is one of the toughest teams to beat. His final four games when he was healthy, I'm not talking about the Giants game where they decided they were not going to let Jalen Hurts get hit under any circumstance. You're going to run out of bounds. You're going to slide. You're going to throw the ball away. You're not taking on any physical contact. But the final four games where Hurts was healthy, he passed for 1,065 yards. He had seven touchdowns, just two interceptions. And where it matters most for the Eagles to have Hurts playing at a high level is in the red zone. This season, he passed for nine red zone touchdowns. He rushed for 11 more. And it's worth noting that Hertz is 14-1 and one as a starter this year against the NFL's toughest strength of schedule. So these weren't cupcakes. These weren't. This wasn't a last-place schedule where you're playing the AFC South and, and the last place in, in every division. That was a really difficult schedule the Eagles mowed through, and they blew teams out almost every week. So while I'm worried about Jalen Hurts from a Philadelphia perspective, if Jalen Hurts is healthy, then I think the Eagles have a real shot to make a real run, whether it's to the championship game or getting by San Francisco and going to the Super Bowl or more than that. Because he's been one of the best quarterbacks this year. He's been an MVP caliber quarterback, maybe you know second or third with Mahomes and Burrow. He's right in that mix. Had he stayed healthy, he's probably running away with the award. Let's be real about this. But if the Eagles are going to make a Super Bowl, it all comes down to Jalen Hurts. That's just the reality for Philadelphia. And speaking of trophies, we might not have the Lombardi Trophy, but we certainly have the Lombardo Trophy to give out once again this week as we do every week. And I want to go a little bit in a different direction for this week and award this week's Lombardo Trophy to DeMar Hamlin's medical team. Because obviously what we all witnessed was a very near tragedy on the field in Cincinnati. And I think it brought the NFL world to its knees when DeMar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on the field. And credit to Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor getting their team off the field, prioritizing the mental health of their players, prioritizing the need to think about and consider and care for DeMar Hamlin. But did anyone think that on Monday, one week after, we all watched in horror as Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on the field, that he'd be discharged from the University of Cincinnati Medical Center one week later on Monday? And then discharged from Buffalo General Medical Center on Wednesday afternoon. It was certainly miraculous, but all of the credit in the world for Hamlin surviving and now having the chance at a complete recovery has to go to his medical team. It has to go to Denny Kellington, the assistant athletic trainer for the Buffalo Bills who administered CPR right there on the field. I can't even imagine what must have been going through Kellington's head, giving CPR in that moment. And thank God that he was there. And thank God that the training staffs for the Bills and the Bengals were clear-minded, aggressive, quick, and did what they had to do because they gave DeMar Hamlin the best chance to survive. And they resuscitated him. They brought him back to life on the field. And beyond that, to all the doctors at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, who, by the way, I love the fact that when DeMar Hamlin woke up, he asked who won that game, the Bills or the Bengals when he regained consciousness, and his team said that he won, that DeMar Hamlin won the game of life. He certainly did. And the winners of this week's Lombardo Trophy are DeMar Hamlin's entire medical team who reminded us all what true heroes look like, who the true heroes are, because they saved his life, and they gave him the chance at a full life after this tragic incident. All right, let's make the pick of the week. We do it each and every week. 
going into wildcard weekend, this is no different. And keep in mind, we don't look for outright winners. We look for covers. That's what we go for. And there's a line that is just screaming going into this weekend. That's the Giants plus three. It's three-point underdogs on the road in Minnesota. Listen, they took the Vikings to the brink on Christmas Eve. They fell 27 to 24 when Greg Joseph split the uprights from 61 yards out as time expired, avoiding overtime. That win by the Vikings was their 11th one-score victory in a season that saw the Vikings walk the high wire every single week. But I look at the Giants, and I look at the way they finished. I look at what they did a couple weeks ago with everything on the line against the Colts. And I know Indianapolis was kind of playing out the string. I get it. But the way they won, running the football, Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones protecting the football, Landon Collins' pick six, which felt really poetic that Landon Collins would intercept a ball, return it for a touchdown in a game the Giants had to have to make the postseason after his first Giants tenure ended. They're playing with a lot of swagger. They're playing with house money. And they're playing with a belief that every time they walk on the football field, they can and will win that game. And in a lot of ways, that's been instilled by Brian Dable since day one, not only by preaching a certain culture, but by aggressively going for it throughout the year in big spots. We mentioned Daniel Jones protecting the ball, but Saquon Barkley rushed for a career-high 1,312 yards. If the Giants can limit turnovers, establish the run early on, play a ball-control offense, keep Kirk Cousins on the, on the sideline, keep Justin Jefferson off the field, limit the Vikings' opportunities, especially from a big play perspective, then Dable's Cinderella campaign is going to continue. And they're going to go to San Francisco or Philadelphia or wherever in round two. And we'll see if this blue-collar workman-like thing can continue. But I like the Giants. I like them winning outright this weekend. Outright. 27-3 as three-point underdogs. Now, if you agree, if you're riding with me, then go ahead and make your bet at FanDuel. Bet on the Giants. Put your betting slip on Twitter. And next week, I'll shout you out as riding with Lombardo with the pick of the week, the Giants plus three on wildcard weekend. This has been a great show. Really enjoyed it. Really had a great time in the conversation with Randy Mueller. Thanks to Randy. You can check him out on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. You can follow his work not only at Heavy, where he's a heavy contributor at heavy.com, but also MuellerFootball.com. Thanks to Thomas Darrow. Does a tremendous job behind the glass each and every week. Instrumental in getting this show up and running every week. If you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe to the Matt Lombardo show on the Apple podcast store, Spotify, SoundCloud, throw us a like on YouTube, leave those five-star reviews in the Apple podcast store. And you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. It's going to be a great weekend, super wild card weekend games on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Hope you enjoy them. I'm Matt Lombardo. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo show presented by heavy.